Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Just like that, we're back. Another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. It is Wednesday, January 26th, the year of our Lord, 2022. Happy to have you along. We got a few different elements we have added onto the Late Kick Extra pod today. If you're on YouTube, you'll probably see them in due time. But we've still got the same old format on podcast. I want you to remember something right as we kick it off, because some of you have been asking me about this. Yes, we are still on the same channels we've always been on. But now the difference is the fine folks over at Spotify have made it such that you can give us five-star reviews even on Spotify. So those of you on Apple Podcasts have been doing it for a long time, and we appreciate it. But if you have previously emailed me or you've DM'd me and you've said, hey, I want to give you a five-star review, but we can't do it, now you can. That's point of business number one. Point of business number two, the chalai of supremacy are going out. We had a little supply chain delay of our own. But if you earned a chalai of supremacy, or I guess the singular would be chalice of supremacy during the year. I recorded your information. Here's what I need, your address. That's what I need. So if I promised you one and I have a role, so don't try and weasel your way into this, there will be future ways for you to win one. Make sure you get me your email address. I got 10 of you. I got one address already, I need nine more. All right, so that pertains to like 1% of the audience. We're less than 1%. Here's what we are doing. If you go to YouTube, the 24 seven sports YouTube channel, We are going to have portions of this podcast and future Late Kick Extra podcasts in video form. Not the whole thing, but there are going to be video segments and excerpts clipped because you asked for it. Okay, full disclosure, I would just rather sit in my dark apartment bedroom and record this at my leisure, but you wanted the video product. So we're here in a new studio that we have never been in before, actually. I'm wearing a shirt that is not white, so there's a lot of new about the pod this morning and this afternoon, depending on when you're listening, but still excited and still the same kind of content. If you want to get in touch, joshpate706 at gmail.com. You can also DM me at LateKickJosh on Twitter or Instagram. And with that in mind, let's dive into the pod this morning. I put the call out on Twitter yesterday or Monday, whenever that was. We got several really good questions here and just be on the lookout. That's why you have to be following on Twitter and Instagram at LateKickJosh. Uh, because you want to make sure that you can get your questions submitted, wall-to-wall college football, anything else you want to talk about, that's fine too. All right, let's dive in. The first question uh, this morning is from Bennett. Bennett asked, which model is more likely to sustain long-term success, the Georgia solid team defense and run game model of this year or the 2019 LSU 2020 Alabama electric offense with somewhat lacking defense? 
the key here is sustain long-term success. Okay, we just saw Georgia win a national championship. So no one in their right mind is going to say, you can't win a championship that way. It is very important to note what Bennett said here. Sustained long-term success. In today's football, you will always see me lean towards the elite quarterback, elite skill perimeter play, good enough, situationally good defensively. I'm taking that model every day of the week. Because if we really think about Georgia, this is not to rain on a parade by any stretch. That was an incredible team to watch this year. But if you think about what Georgia just accomplished, what did we see? We saw him get whipped in Atlanta by the, the Alabama Crimson Tide. And then we see him go to the national championship game. And it's really only after John Mechie and Jamison Williams have gone down that we see Georgia able to take the game and that opposing team by the throat. Again, a lot of people are saying that to discount Georgia. I'm not saying that to discount them at all. Injuries are a part of the game. So I'm not discounting the win at all. It's important to note for a third time. What did Bennett just ask? He asked about future sustainability. So in any given year, in any given year, I can't count on the other team sustaining multiple injuries to both of their thousand yard receivers. If you were to be able to guarantee me that every year, you could pretty much play any style you want to as long as you recruit at a high level. Now, George is going to recruit at a high level. But listen, I think Kirby Smart has already answered this. We've seen them try to get better at quarterback. This, this time last year or two years ago, lose track of time now, Remember, they made it a point to go out and get two guys at quarterback in the transfer portal. They got JT Daniels, and they got, oh man, Jamie Newman. Almost forget his name these days. Now, neither of those guys panned out the way they wanted them to, but that doesn't mean they weren't trying. Because remember, speaking of this 2019 LSU team, remember what Georgia was coming off of. They were coming off of consecutive years, really. They got beat by Bama in 2017 and 18. And then in 2019, they got beat by Joe Burrow and LSU, and Georgia had a pretty good team. I think after that, Kirby Smart said, we cannot keep recruiting like we are, but forsake the quarterback position. We can't keep recruiting like we are, except at wide receiver. We got to have what those teams have, because that's the way the game's going. And so Kirby Smart started trying to do that. They are still, as we speak, trying to do that. It's just not as easy as LSU made it look in 2019. It's not as easy as Alabama's made it look now a number of times. Do you realize Bama just had more 1,000-yard receivers this past season than Georgia's had in the history of the program? And that's a year following losing Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell. So, yeah, Alabama's flipped that switch now. Georgia wants to flip that same switch. If you, if you offered Kirby Smart, hey, you got to give up 20% of your defensive prowess, but in exchange... You're going to get Mac Jones, Joe Burrow, Bryce Young level quarterback play. He'd, he wouldn't let you finish the sentence before he said, yes, sign me up. So in terms of long-term, any given year, sustainable formula for winning in 2022 and beyond college football, I'm taking the elite quarterback play because with that comes elite perimeter play and you're never out of a game because you were never unable to score. That's the way I'm going on that one, Bennett. It's a really interesting question though. I, I think even though I offered like five caveats and uh, disclaimers on that, you will still have people listen. And I, I guarantee you, I know our listeners, there, there's a fringe minority amongst my Georgia buddies, especially, who will hear what I just said and they'll think I'm, I'm trying to impugn the credibility of that title win. I'm not. What I just said uh, does not even pertain to the last title win. But we're looking at what in any given year gives you the best chance. We're talking percentages. What gives you the best chance? Good question though there. All right, next up this morning in the late kick inbox, it is Sam. 
And Sam asks, what are the aspects of building a program that often go unthought of? I'll tell you one right now that I think is, is still fairly new to the college football world, and that is college talent evaluation. Not high school. It's always been very important to be able to evaluate and then recruit guys out of the high school level. But think about what LSU is doing. I'm just going to use LSU as an example right now. They have hired a guy like Brian Polian, for example, Bill Polian's son. Brian Polian is part of what they've done down there so far in leveraging the transfer portal hard. And the transfer portal, well, what is it? It is going and getting guys who have already played college football to now come and play their college football for you. So it's a little bit different than scouting a guy from a 2A ball in Virginia or, or a 3A player in Louisiana. You are watching them against college competition, so you have a lot better comparable data points. Your eyeballs don't tend to lie to you nearly as much, but here's the trade-off. The trade-off is everyone's after guys in the transfer portal. You may find some hidden gems in high school, but everyone is watching that transfer portal every day. So you have to have a very keen eye. You have to have an advanced scouting eye on college players. Five years ago, this would have been ludicrous to talk about. It would have been pointless because the transfer, the entire transfer scene was not littered with guys nearly to enough of a degree where you needed this. So one thing I would say, maybe not the first thing, but one thing I would say is it's very important to have your high school and then especially now your college scouting department, ducks in a row. The other thing I think is everyone forever in this game is focused on training. We focused on conditioning, we focused on strength and conditioning, we focused on weightlifting, we focused on what's your vert, what's your shuttle, what's your 40 time, and all these things are very important to varying degrees. But only, I would say in the last decade, have I personally seen a premium placed at the college level on development from the neck up. The more, um, it's not sports science, but it is a lot more psychological approach to the game. And now everybody invests in this, especially the big time programs. They all invest in sports psychology. And it's just amazing to me what that unlocks. Because for so long, we trained the quads and we trained the pecs and we trained the hamstrings infinitely more than we trained the brain. And, and the brain is probably the most important facet that you take out onto the field with you any given week. Now, certainly, there have to be some God-given physical traits. There's a minimum baseline that you and I both have to reach, in, otherwise we're not gonna get on a field from a raw talent and ability standpoint. But there are a lot of big guys out there who never pan out. There are a lot of fast guys out there. There are a lot of high jumpers out there who never pan out. And we just used to call it a bust. You used to say, well, he's a bust. Well, that's not scientific. There is nothing behind that. Why did he bust? Was he a washout in the classroom? Could he not transition to college life socially? Did he not acclimate himself? Uh, did he have depression issues? Were there problems in his childhood that he really couldn't shake that limited his development? None of these things should fall in the lap of a wide receivers coach to untangle. But you can hire people who can untangle it. So the sports psychology aspect of college football, I think that's come a long way. And if you were to ask me what area of the sport would you love to see 10 years from now? That's one of the first ones I go to. Show me sports psychology in another 10 years. Show me what we know about players from the neck up 10 years from now that maybe we don't know now. Because that's a, that is still a burgeoning industry. It's an entire kind of science in and of itself that I think there's still a lot of unknown around.
But uh, for the betterment, we're moving in the right direction in college football. All right, we continue moving on here this morning or afternoon. I know a lot of you listen on your drive home, so I don't want to shoehorn you into when you should be listening to this. So this one, this one really got him stirred up yesterday. Sean asked, what defines a blue blood college football program? How many schools can claim blue blood status? Is Nebraska still in that category? And can it realistically get back? So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go to Twitter because I posted this. I retweeted it and I said, look, I want everyone's thoughts on this because I knew we were going to talk about it today. And I asked simply, in your opinion, and if you're driving around or you're watching on YouTube right now, think to yourself, when you say blue blood college football program, what do you think of? Because I quickly have found out a lot of you have different definitions. A lot of you think you have to have won multiple championships. A lot of you think you have to have you know, multiple Hall of Fame level head coaches. Some of you went straight to the jersey. How historic is the jersey? Some of you went in the abstract and you said, can you tell the story of college football without that team? If you can, they're not a blue blood. If you can't afford to leave that team out of the story of college football, they are a blue blood. Well, this is very different because it gets us a very different answer. I can't tell the story of college football without Nebraska, but yet if you require there to be some legitimacy of the modern day product on the field, then Nebraska wouldn't be a blue blood. See what I mean? Very quickly, we have converging paths here on a question, and then we have divergent paths on the answer. Here's where I fall. I think you have to have a little bit of everything. I do have to have some length of bone about your resume. I got into a huge argument with a buddy of mine back home in Georgia when Clemson won their second national championship over Bama in three years. He texted me. I was still out in California. And he texted me and he said, I guess you have to call Clemson a blue blood now because we had just done a segment like a month earlier when we were in our independent days where I said, Clemson's not a blue blood program. And then he shot back, are you telling me Clemson's not elite? Well, of course I'm not telling you that. They're about to play for another national championship. Sure, they're elite. We're not talking about elite. We're talking about blue blood. And so then they win another title. And he says, I guess that takes care of that. Well, no, it didn't. And I texted him back. For that matter, if they win the next two, they still won't be a blue blood. That's nothing to do. These are different categories. It is impossible. It is absolutely impossible. If you're a 10-year-old right now, no matter how good you do on the go-kart track, it's impossible for you to be a legal driver in the state of Tennessee. Why? Because there's a minimum baseline that the state has decided to set. And any state around the country, there's a minimum baseline. There's a certain age you have to be. Well, it's kind of the same way <clears throat> when it comes to blue blood programs. To me, I don't know what the minimum requirement for number of years of relevancy is. I just know it's more than 10 or 11. And by relevancy, I mean on a national scale. But if we look back at Nebraska, I can't tell the story of college football without Nebraska, but yet I can tell the story of the last 20 years without Nebraska. So my question becomes in my own mind, how, how heavily do I weigh modern day results? Not last five years, but if you've gone legitimately the last 15 years without really popping on the national radar screen, to me that matters. So here would be my answer to this question. My answer would be, you have to have been relevant on a national level over multiple decades. Preferably, you have won titles over at least two different generations. Uh, the third is, yes, I have to be able to apply legendary coaches with your program. The jerseys are important to me, not as important, but your brand is important. I do buy into the, can I tell the story of college football with or without you 
because uh, that is important, sure enough. But here's the other part that I factor in that some of you don't, and that's fine. It's an opinion question. I'm a believer that you can lose your blue blood status. This is not just a, a tattoo that's put on your forehead that you get to wear forever. And Nebraska, you could also ask the same about Tennessee. Uh, you could ask about those programs. Were they blue bloods at one time? Certainly they were. Are they blue bloods currently? And I would argue, no, they're not. Now that's the downside. The upside is, I am a big believer that just as much as you can lose your blue blood status, you can regain it. And so if Tennessee under Josh Heupel, or let's even go Scott Frost at Nebraska, if they were to resurrect those programs, and all of a sudden they're playing for the SEC and Big Ten championships respectively three times over the next five years, and they each lock down a national title, well, yeah, then they're back. And look, I don't even require you to meet an ultra-lofty standard to regain your blue blood status. I'm going to save a seat for you here. I just, I put you out in the hallway, but you already know how to get to the classroom and get in the classroom. That's the important part. And so if you just behave yourself out there, if you'll just get back to winning ways, you don't have to win two or three national championships, just become another steady winner, and I'll bring you back in and I'll put you in your seat. So yes, several of those factors matter to me. It's not just one thing and one thing only with regard to blue blood status. But having said that, I think you can lose your blue blood status. And I think right now Nebraska has, but I also think they can regain it. We move on. Very interesting there. I, I had more back and forth on that question uh, than any I think that we've asked in several weeks. Next up is from Marcus. This is a two-parter and Colin's gonna have to remind me to come back and answer the second one or I'll forget. The first question is, do you think Lincoln Riley can be to the Pac-12 what Urban Meyer was to the Big Ten in terms of upping the ante in the conference. You know, Urban Meyer did that in more conferences than just the Big Ten. He did it in the SEC, too. Now, people in the SEC would always tell you, we've always dominated college football. They've always been up there. But I remember vividly when Urban Meyer came to the SEC. He had never coached down there. He had never been an assistant down there. And he comes to Florida by way of Utah. And I remember, I remember listening to some people close to me say, Urban Meyer is about to find out what SEC football is about. He's about to teach this conference a lesson. And the only entity that got taught a lesson was the SEC. Because Urban Meyer came and he played a brand of football they weren't ready for in the SEC. And he recruited in such a manner that they weren't ready for in the SEC. Urban Meyer was born to coach in the SEC. So he did it there. Then he took those principles and he applied them at Ohio State. And he did the same thing there. And so the question, the question is, okay, well, if that's happened before, can Lincoln Riley do that? Can he replicate that on the West Coast? I absolutely think he can. Yes. I think that's what you have to hope and dream for. You have to look and ask yourself, what's been wrong with USC football? What's been wrong is you haven't had good enough players and then you haven't developed the players that you've had, but really it all starts with, as we often say on this program and on Late Kick Live, there's only so good a meal you can make if you've got subpar groceries or if your pantry is empty. And so Clay Helton's out, Lincoln Riley's in. I wanna know what kind of groceries are we working with? How full, how stocked is that cupboard in that pantry gonna be? Because if it is, then here's the twofold benefit you have. As a USC fan, of course it means you're about to compete for Pac-12 championships, college football playoff appearances, that's a given. But here's why it's a good thing for you if you're a Utah fan or if you're an Oregon fan, because this sounds counterintuitive. You think to yourself, 
No, 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 no. I'm an Oregon fan. I'm a Washington, Arizona State fan. I don't need USC taking it to another level. Yeah, you do. Your conference does. You absolutely do. See, I would now direct your attention back to the SEC, but I would direct your attention to Alabama and Nick Saban. It's an age-old question in the South at this point. Has Nick Saban been good for the SEC or bad for the SEC? Well, the university, well, Auburn University won a national championship in 2010. I'm a believer they wouldn't have won it had Saban not been at Alabama. Saban and Bama won a national title in 2009. I think it put such immense pressure on Auburn University that they, they dug deeper than they ever had before, and they won a title because of it. I'm a big believer that you got a higher level of competition out of programs like Ole Miss, out of programs like LSU. I think Kirby Smart is at Georgia, and I think Georgia ultimately just won a title because of Nick Saban's presence at Alabama. Now, So you can look around and you can say, no, no, Saban's been bad for the SEC because he's dominated them. Or you can look around and speak relatively, and you can look at the individual status of each of those programs, and you can say, wait a second. If the average program in the SEC is investing more than they ever have, and they got better facilities than they ever have, and they got bigger staffs than they ever have, and they're recruiting at a higher level than they ever have on average, what, what else do we think caused that? You will not realize how good Nick Saban's been for other programs in the SEC until he retires. Well, what you want is you want that to be duplicated on the West Coast. Even if it means USC winning a national championship, you want to make sure that it's good for you if you're Washington or if you're Oregon State. You want to make sure if they're going to win down there either way, let's make sure the pressure that it applies on the conference is felt in Corvallis or Tempe or anywhere else up and down the West Coast or even in Salt Lake City. Let's make sure that if they're going to have a winner there, let's benefit from it as much as we can. And that's exactly what they did in the Big Ten when Urban got there, in the SEC when Urban got there, in the SEC when Saban got here. And that's exactly what they need to do on the West Coast in the Pac-12 with Lincoln Riley. The other part, thank you, Colin. The other part to the question was, as a beginner sports podcaster, what is the best advice you can give? <clears throat> so I'm going to restate this question because I know we want to clip it for video. The next question here was, as a beginning sports podcaster, what is the best advice you can give? I would tell you this. Get as many repetitions as you possibly can. There's a mic in front of me right now, and certainly you can hear my voice right now, but the best practice I ever got was driving around in my Toyota Tundra, back before anyone ever put me on radio or air or anything like that. And I used to listen to ESPN radio, and then I would, boom, I would mute the radio, and I would pick up the topic. I would pick up the segment where they had last left it, and I would just run with it. And it would make you look dumb in traffic if someone looked over at a red light, but it's the best practice I ever got. Because one day when I got put on air with not much advanced warning, it sounded like I was prepared. It sounded like I was ready. You're not going to be good when you start doing this. You're just not. That's fine. If you are good at it, then you're, you're some kind of savant that needs to be in a separate compartment, probably not watching this video. You're going to be bad. Let yourself be bad. But there are two things you have to really develop. You have to develop a relationship with the folks you're talking to, and you also have to develop your style. You've got the talent, and hopefully you have the passion, and those intersect at this area, again, hopefully, but even then, think about what you're trying to do. Really what you're trying to do here is you're trying to take a very stubborn group of people, I include myself in this group, you're trying to take sports fans and command their attention. If you've ever been at work 
Think about being on the job site. I worked construction for a little while. We certainly worked in the fabric warehouse. That's been well documented. Everybody in those settings watches football, watches basketball. We all watch sports. And so I remember, I remember thinking to myself, when you're on the job site, everyone's given their opinion. The gym's the same way. Everyone's given their opinion on sports. How many people are listening? No one's listening. Everyone just wants to talk. That, psychologically, is how hard this job gets. Really, if you think about it, at its core, all you're trying to do is you're trying to be so good that you're trying to command the attention of folks who otherwise would never give anyone their attention. That's not easy. That's, not, that's why most folks wash out of this very quickly. But if you do have something that people care about to say, then the second part is, do you care about them? They got to know you care about them. Look, that's why we do our show the way we do. In fact, I'm sitting in a new studio today, not because I chose to, but because you guys told me to go in here. We still use the same theme music on the podcast and on Late Kick Live, not because I like it, but because you guys told me when I threatened to take it away, you better not take it away or else. You have to give, you got to give yourself over to the audience, but you got to give the product over to them. How stupid would it be to call it my show? If director Colin or producer Jesse aren't here, we don't have a show. And even if all three of us are here, but you're not listening, we don't have a show. So it's never my, my, my. You got to, you know, I had a guy tell me one time, it sounds like it marginalizes the audience, but the point still remains. He said, you got to bait the hook to suit the fish. And that's a great piece of advice. And that's about the last time I'm going to call anyone listening or watching out there a fish. But what that means is a lot of folks out there make the mistake of talking about what they care about. Well, that's great if you're just laying in bed at night staring up at your ceiling, but you're not your audience. There's not a mirror in front of you. There's a camera in front of you or there's a mic in front of you. And there are a lot of other people that you may never meet in your life on the other side listening. What if they don't care about what you're talking about? What if, what if you just... It's like if you, if you love eating toaster strudel, but you ever went out on the lake, you would never bait your hook with toaster strudel. You'd never get a bite. You put the nastiest stuff you could possibly find. You put worms. You put locusts. You put anything and everything that you would never put in your personal mouth out there. That's how you catch fish. Well, I may talk about stuff sometimes on this show I don't necessarily care about when you're starting your podcast. You may talk about stuff you don't necessarily care about. If your audience cares about it, that's really all that matters. I talk about Transfer Portal every show right now. It's not because I'm crazy about it. I am kind of fascinated about to be real, but there are other things I'd rather talk about. You guys love it, though. So I just immerse myself in it, and I, I text our folks back and forth all day, try and get any kind of little tidbit of information we can. You've got to format the show for your audience. You've got to develop a voice and opinion they care about hearing, and then you've got to be authentic with them. You don't fake relationships with people long term. And you've got that. You've got a shot. Those would be my three pieces of advice. Moving merrily along here, Daniel's up next. Daniel said, I was arguing with a friend of mine about Nick Saban. He thinks he'll lose effectiveness in a few years and he'll be done because of his ability. I think he'll stick around for multiple years and retire when he wants. How do you see the end of Saban's career playing out? Obviously, short of health concerns, which we just have to push off to the side because those can derail you no matter how old you are. Outside of health concerns, and the, the immediate kind, I would say that I agree with you, Daniel. I think he's going to go out on his own terms. I do not think he will go out and we're looking at him by the time he retires and we're saying, boy, remember when Nick Saban was fill in the blank? I, I think he'll be at the top of the game or near the top of the game as long as he's in the game. He has not shown 
a single ounce of in any kind of decline. Like, think about the fact last year that I think he had his best team ever. I think this year in 2021, he may have done his best coaching job ever. He's 70. So, I mean, if, if he's about to start a backward slide, it is certainly not because he's already shown us clues in advance that he's going to do it. I know there are a lot of people out there hopeful that he'll announce his retirement tomorrow. And, and I understand why. But you got to take your hopes and wishes out of this. If you had to bet your money, Daniel, I would ask my buddy this. If you had to bet your money, pal, we're going to call him Steven. Steven, if you had to bet your money on Nick Saban losing his faculties over the next few years, and I'm going to bet on him staying pretty sharp over the next few years, like what kind of odds are you giving me, really? He's going to make you lay 300 or 400 juice on that. Because I think we all know, again, outside of the immediate health scare, which no one can predict, Nick Saban's not going anywhere if he doesn't want to go anywhere. Now, that's the, that's the great unknown. And I'm going to be candid with you here for a second. I don't have any inside information, nor does anyone else. I will be candid with you. I grew up, and I always listened to people talk about Paul Bear Bryant. And I was, I was, he was gone by the time I was born. So he was only a myth, a legend to me. He was not a real person to me because I did not live in the same time he did. So it was like listening to stories about Paul Bunyan as far as I was concerned. Well, I remember thinking to myself when I was growing up, how lucky the folks were who got to watch him or, or go to a game and actually see him on the sideline or, or if you actually worked in sports media. You worked for the Birmingham News back in the day, for example, and you actually got to cover that beat and you got to have one-on-one -on -one time with him. That to me, that, that made you borderline immortal. I, I looked up to you merely because of that. Can you tell I grew up a college football fan? But I also remember thinking, that's all in the past. That stuff's just back then. That's history book stuff. So now, to realize that we are in the current presence of, to me, definitively now, the best to ever do it, that's something I don't ever take for granted. We've had Nick Saban on the show two times. I think we're going to have him again uh, very soon. That is, that is career-defining stuff. I could do this for another 50 years, and you may not have a highlight bigger than on the very front end of your career corresponding with the best of all time. I understand that in the moment. That's not something I need 30 years to look back on to realize. I realize that in the moment. But what I was going to tell you is I start thinking about age of him, and I start thinking about when his last go-around will be. I remember 2020, last year when they won the national championship. I didn't have any inside information. I just got a little nervous. And I got a little nervous because I thought to myself, I think this is the best team he's had, but I think it's his most favorite team he's ever had. And you always wonder, because you can never know. In the back of his mind, has he told himself three or four years ago, if I ever get another great run out of a team and we win a title, that's when it'll be. Whatever year it is, that's when it'll be that I'll walk away. Now, it didn't happen. But I was thinking that last year. I didn't say it on air. And I'll tell you this, this team he's got coming up this next year, Bryce Young, Will Anderson, they're going to be loaded. They're going to be a definitive favorite to win the national championship. If they win the national championship this next year, I'll think the same thing. I'll probably have no inside information. And if I had to bet money, I'd say he's going to be around another four or five years minimum. But you never know. So even if you're not a Bama fan, I'm telling you, you are living in an era that one day people will look at you with wide-eyed amazement with when you reference it, I would advise you to appreciate it. At the very least, you don't have to like it, but at least appreciate it. Moving on, next up, 
is Nicholas. Nicholas asks, what is the ceiling for Arkansas football? It seemed like just two years ago, a championship was out of the question for the Hogs. Is it out of, is it out of the question? That's what I want to ask you guys. If you're driving around right now, let's say you're, let's say you're a Miami of Ohio fan. Let's say you're a, you're a Wyoming fan. You're just observing college football. And I were to tell you, I've seen the future. Arkansas plays for a national championship down the road, not too far from now. How, how fantastical would that be? Like how out of the realm of possibility would that be to you? Because I think Nicholas is right. Up until very recently, that's just been ludicrous. But I also think this time last year, if I told you Jim Harbaugh was going to play for a college football playoff spot and get it, make the college football playoff, that would have seemed a little out of the realm of possibility. Uh, maybe not as much, relatively speaking, as Arkansas making it, but still, like I think you would have said that. I, I think you would have been pretty thrown for a loop if I told you a G5 team is going to make the playoff. The thing with Arkansas that you have to understand that sometimes people are prisoners of is you're prisoners of long-held perception. This happened with Clemson for a long time. You had the term Clemsoning, and you had this idea in your mind that there is a, there's a certain batch of ingredients that you have to have from a branding and program perspective for me to consider you a playoff team, and Clemson is not that. But then all of a sudden they were, and then they won a title, and then they won another title, and they were playing for it virtually every year, and all of a sudden Clemson was a powerhouse, and A&M could be that soon, but Arkansas also could be that team soon. And with Arkansas, what do you need? Here's what I'm asking you. Certainly that Razorback logo is not something you currently attribute to sustained playoff contender. No, you don't think that. I don't think that right now, but we're talking about the future. What would have to happen? Let's just play this game out to its logical conclusion. What would have to happen for Arkansas to be a playoff team? The title contender, playoff team, however you want to phrase this. Well, they would have to recruit at a certain level. I think they're doing that right now. And especially this next cycle, the 2023 cycle, they're ranked top five as we speak. Here's the other very pivotal part. They are really attacking the transfer portal. I know everyone thinks they are. Arkansas is. Arkansas has gotten more four-star caliber players out of that thing than any team this cycle. That includes USC. That includes LSU. This is as of last week. I assume it hasn't changed a whole lot. But even if it has, you get my drift there. And they're not done. Well, here's what I'm waiting on. Now, K.J. Jefferson's a good player. So this upcoming year, they'll already be good at quarterback. But here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking down the road, let's say we have a situation next year, kind of like we have right now, where Caleb Williams or someone of his caliber is floating out there in the transfer portal. What if Arkansas becomes a destination for those kinds of quarterbacks? What happens? Like, what changes? If, if, I don't, if I keep everything else about Arkansas, you love the roster that's being developed, you love the developmental aspect of the program, period. Everyone wants to go there. Apparently, no one wants to leave there. And you've got the culture rock solid in place. And then I add on this little cherry on top, it's become a destination for high school and college quarterbacks, like, like Oklahoma did for a little while there in sort of the, the pre-transfer portal on the quarterback front. If that happened, I hate to burst anyone's bubble who's a doubter, Arkansas would be a playoff contender. I don't really care what division they're in. Like You can have more than one playoff contender in the same division. And then, if you guys are going to take this playoff and expand it down the road to where it becomes a little bit easier for programs in a loaded division to make it in, 
Well, if you have a good to great roster that is accented by high-level quarterback play, and then you get in the playoff, you can win a title. So yes, it's unrealistic at the moment to think about, but Arkansas is the kind of team that could change the way you think. It's what they're in the process of doing. I also want to remind you that as we are about to uh, read the final question of this morning, there's a challenge on this show. And since we're in a new studio right now, I'm recording in a new studio, if you can't see it or haven't seen it on YouTube, I, I feel like I'm off my game a little bit. Because normally we'd already be in the middle of the ad read before you even knew what hit you. But I'm giving you a little bit of advance warning today, and this is the first and last time I'll do this. We're going to toss to the ad break, and when we come back, we'll wrap it up. Stay with us. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, we're back. We wrap it up here. This was an email. Remember, you can email the questions too. I've got so many in my inbox I still have to open because when we went to Indianapolis, we kind of got thrown off track. But here's one from the email inbox. How do you get over a heartbreaking season-ending loss? I think Andrew sent this. He said, obviously, I'm referring to my Buffalo Bills here, but it can be related to college football too, like other walk-off losses. How did Oklahoma cope with losing the Rose Bowl to Georgia? Second and 26, Georgia loses to Alabama the very next week. Even the 2019 Fiesta Bowl. What do you do to cope? Well, my short answer is you don't. In the immediate aftermath, you're shell-shocked. You are heartbroken. You certainly, if you're like me, you do not show your face out in public the rest of the day, maybe the next several days. If you got to call out of work, that's what God created sick days for. Uh, if you're in class, you better be wearing a hoodie and sunglasses. I don't know what to tell you. Part of the passion that you invest in this stuff is there is risk. It's not all reward. There is risk. And the risk is someone could just reach into your chest and grab that heart and say, look what I got. It's kind of like when your uncle used to steal your nose, only this is, while still figurative, a lot more painful when it happens. I, the, the fact of the matter is, if you live in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, and Georgia beats you in overtime of the Rose Bowl, you don't cope immediately. It just, it's painful. It's like a dagger to the crotch. That's exactly what it is. And if you are Georgia, the very next week, think about the seven-day turnaround. You experience a walk-off college football playoff win at the Rose Bowl. Then you're in overtime of the national championship game. 
and you get to a tongue of Iload on second and 26. So you experience the, the best and worst of fandom. What do you do? You deal with it. But here's what I always know. What I always know is in my line of work, like where I see this sport from, I don't have to worry about it, but yet I still feel it. Because I've got, I mean, in any of the big fan bases, I correspond with at least hundreds of you from any of the big fan bases. And some of you I've gotten pretty close to. So I know if Georgia loses that game or Oklahoma loses that game in that fashion, uh, if, if Alabama loses on the last second to Clemson, you may say, oh, Bama's got plenty of them. There's never enough. I know I got some folks hurting. And I, I need to go to the eye, Josh. I need to console. I need to comfort. Sometimes you need just a wayward stroke of the cheek. If that's what you need, I'm here for you. I view it differently these days. I look at it as, oh boy, I need to go celebrate with the folks who deserve celebration, but then I need to go console those who need the consoling. Look, Andrew, there is no easy way. I, I think anyone who watches sports and who is truly invested, you know there is no easy way. But what I would just try to do, it's hard to do this, I would try to understand that part of that pain is what makes sports beautiful. That's what makes competition beautiful. And you know in the pain and the hurt of losing, that's what makes winning feel like it does. That's what makes winning a championship feel like it does. When you watch people lose their mind, when you see over 100,000 people show up for a trophy presentation in Athens, Georgia, it's because of that. Those people wouldn't be there if they hadn't felt the hurt in several years past. That hurt has an opposite end of the spectrum to it, and it's if you can finally win a championship, like if the Buffalo Bills were to finally win a championship. Can you imagine how many days or weeks they'd have to shut that city down for? So it's a, it's, there, there's beauty in the pain. That's the best way, if you were sitting on my couch here, that I could sum it up for you. Really appreciate the questions this morning, though. Remember, if you want to give us five-star reviews, we appreciate it. You can do it on any of the podcast platforms pretty much now. Also, here's what I really love. And if this is pandering and begging, so be it. You are our marketing department. But we're not going anywhere. We're not taking an expanded off-season. We're, we're not going to disappear for a month or two. You have asked for year-round content. I'm going to give you a year-round content. What I need you guys to do is make sure everyone knows what we're doing. And how do you do that? You do it by sharing our stuff. Just a simple screenshot to prove you're listening. Tweet it out. Tag me in it. Post it on Instagram. Tag me in it. It's great viral marketing for us. Uh, we're into the kind of marketing that we don't have to pay for. Because Jesse and Colin, last time I checked, we still don't have an ad budget. We certainly don't have a marketing budget. And we've never really asked for one because you guys do the job for us. So thank you so much for that. Uh, make sure that you are following on Twitter and Instagram at LateKickJosh. Until next time, for producer Jordan and producer Jesse and director Colin, I'm Josh Bate. Have a great rest of your day and God bless. New CBS Monday. NCIS is back. We need all hands on deck. So grab your gear. NCIS! And join our elite team. What are the charges? Murder. New cases to be solved. Double tap to the chest. Same caliber as the murder weapon. And new criminals to catch. That's the bomb maker. Where's the bomb? A new NCIS. Monday, 9, 8 central. On CBS. And streaming on Paramount+. Plus.